and um, to give God thanks and praise and um, to be able to give to God in uh, many, many ways. You may just be wondering where Christian and Caroline are. They're, they're away on holiday uh, for the next two or three weeks and uh, we trust that they'll have a really refreshing and restful time. But it's good to be together and uh, we continue to believe that God will uh, bless our journey here at Mansfield. Um, and uh, that God's going to continue to do great things in Jesus' name. And uh, we believe that the Bible endures forever. We believe that it speaks uh, again and again into time and eternity. And uh, we live in a very uh, challenging, complex 21st century. Uh, there are many things that we watch on the news and read that may sometimes perplex, perplex us and even sometimes trouble us. But God's got a word every time right into uh, life and situations and culture. And that's why we uh, very gladly in Arena Church open up the Bible and ask that God will speak to us. And um, our series um, at the moment during the autumn, there it is on the screen, is um, called God First. And the foundational verse is Matthew 6.33. It's a favorite verse of mine. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And tonight, I want just to dwell there for a few moments before we get to our specific subject matter. So uh, tonight, you've got two for one. And uh, we trust that God's just going to speak to us. And I believe that God can speak to every one of our hearts and change us forever. Because that's the power of the word of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. In July 1979, I got married. Uh, and I'm still married, she's still there, and, uh, and uh, we, uh, we got married, and a week after we got married, we were running a church, and uh, yeah, it may seem a bit crazy, but somehow we, we survived, and we're still here, and we're still going, and um, when we got married, uh, we had numbers of presents, but I mean, nowadays, it's got so fancy about presents, isn't it, you know, um, contact John Lewis with this particular code number, or uh, uh, I mean, some folks are, never mind about presents, we just want cash. And, uh, you know, and so it goes on. Um, but in those days, it was, it was a little bit sort of uh, less than that. And in the presents, in the sort of bottom drawer presents of towels and, and, uh, and pots and all of those things and, and uh, Pyrex dishes, uh, we had somebody, some, yeah, somebody, yeah, really, I'm old, you know. Um, somebody gave us a plaque and it had, it had an embossed, two-word reflection and statement on the plaque. And it sat above our little gas fire, above our gas fire in our little flat in Skegness as we sought to pastor the church there. And it had two words on it. Now, somebody after the meeting this morning says, I thought you were going to say good luck. No, it's more, it's, it's more spiritual than that. The two words on the plaque were God first. And the reality is that God was first before Sharon and me met, he was first when we met, and he's been first ever since, and he really has. And it's what's caused our life with the Lord to uh, go with him. We're not anything special. In fact, we're so ordinary, it's breathtaking. But we've sought to put God first in everything. And I want you just to think for a moment of two little thoughts around Matthew 6.33. First of all, the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. One translation says, seek you first, a personal responsibility for you to put God first in your lives and his righteousness. 
And when we read about the kingdom in the Bible, we automatically think of a realm, a territory. For instance, the United Kingdom, Northern Ireland, Wales, England, and Scotland. Just uh, they, they thought about it. They, we thought we were going to lose them, but our friends north of the border decided they wanted to stay in the United Kingdom. I'm pleased about that. And we think about a territory. Some of you may have drawn the outline of the United Kingdom at school. But in the Bible, it's not talking about realm, it's talking about rule. When we say seeking first the kingdom, we're saying that we are not just receiving Jesus as our saviour, but we are making him the king of our lives. We are submitting to his leadership, to his direction, and to his authority. And that we trust him to bless our lives. And the reality is this, friends, that when you seek first the kingdom, it can bring challenges to your lives. It can maybe even be a costly and sacrificial call, but it's an amazing way to journey in life with the Lord. So from 1989 to 2004, I worked bivocationally in terms of running a church, but also in financial services. I'm not quite sure how we pulled it all together, but we did. And the reality was this, that we celebrate promotions in Arena Church. We're thankful when people press through and do well. But my journey in that particular role was to push back on promotion simply on the basis of uh, working everything through and seeking first the kingdom. It cost me in one sense, but in another sense, friends, I was so blessed to be able to put into action the purposes of God. What is the priority of our lives? Who comes first in our lives? Well, God wants to come first. And then all these things will be added unto you. When we read Matthew 6, we, talk, we see that Jesus is talking about food and clothes and drink and health and our tomorrows. All these things will be added to you. I don't know whether it's just me, friends, but when I start to think about the world that we live in, it then gives a perspective to the things. Because most people in the world don't live like us. In fact, 80% of the world's population lives on less than 10 American dollars a day. 885 million people today don't have access to clean, living, drinking water. The 85 richest people in the world have the equivalent wealth to the poorest 3.5 billion. 27,000 kids in my home city of Nottingham, 12 miles down the A60, are designated as living in poverty. And if you earn £21,900, and I understand in our low-earning East Midlands economy, many people don't. But if you earn £21,900 a year, you are in the top 4% of earners in the world. 96% of people don't earn that sort of salary. You see, many people in the world, friends, literally have to pray for the things. Food, water, and clothes. And in our Western society at times, maybe that brings a perspective and an increased value to the things that we pray over and believe God to bless us with. Priority and promise. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And four times in that passage, it says, don't worry. It literally means don't be overly anxious. Don't be fretful. It's an expression of unbelief. 
Because if God can look after the birds and he can look after the fields, he can look after you. Remember years ago, speaking for Matthew 6 in Oxford, when we pastored the church there, and a lady came up to me afterwards, Dory in her name, she says, it's all right for you saying, don't worry, I'm the worrying type. But well, that word worked, didn't it? You know, the reality is I probably had more to worry about than she did. But don't let worry grip you. Don't let it bind you. Don't let it lock you up, but trust the Lord. Let him be king over your life, and he'll take care of the things he really will. Which brings us tonight to our theme. And I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 14. And please, I've taken a little chunk out of the message already. I'm not going to say like some preachers do, and now I've started. Because the congregation is thinking, ooh, we've already started, so I'm on track with time. But Paul says in 1 Timothy, writing to, uh, to his son in the faith, Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, for he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And tonight, I want to encourage us in this journey of God first, building upon the series that's already been shared over the last few weeks. Christian opening it up and then saying God first in giving. Paul last week, God first in connecting. And tonight we're thinking about God first in serving. It's a subject that we've dug around in arena on occasions before, but we're praying tonight that it's going to come with an increased freshness because the heart of God is that every one of us would come to a place of serving his purposes in our life. It is an incredible privilege to live there. So Paul writes to Timothy, there's two books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Timothy is described as a son in the faith. He wasn't his son biologically, but in terms of spiritual input, in terms of fathering, in terms of empowering this young man to be a leader in the early church, Paul was his dad. And these books are written towards the end of Paul's life. So he's pouring out of his experience and of his heart and encouraging the young person to take forward what God has got for him. I like it that Paul says he's thankful. He's not become cynical, hard-nosed, defeated, resentful. But he says, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's a good place to live. And that's where God wants us to be. And he's thankful that God has called him to serve his purposes. You know, there's a little cliche that often gets used in churches. And like most cliches, there's an element of truth in it. And it's this, that we are saved to serve. I'll come to it in a moment, but it has to be that way round. We are not serving so that we might hope to get saved. We are saved to serve. So go with me in these few minutes as I just look at four things out of Paul's thankfulness that reflect that he was an amazing servant of the Lord because he put God first. And for us to be impacted by that example again tonight and commit ourselves to a similar journey. No one, he was thankful that he was chosen. 
I thank Christ Jesus my Lord who has given me strength and put me into the purpose of God. Chosen. Jesus took hold of him. And some of you that know your Bibles will know that in Acts chapter 9, we read of an amazing encounter between Saul, as he was called then, Saul of Tarsus, and the risen, ascended Jesus. You see, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that this man, now called Paul, was creating havoc in the church. It's quite likely, friends, that certainly people were imprisoned and maybe have even died because of his religious zealotry that says, I want to stamp out this Christian faith. I hate these Christians. I despise them. They're spreading the message all over the place, and I'm going to stop it. And so off he went to Damascus, still the capital of that troubled nation of Syria today, several hundred miles north of Jerusalem. He took an entourage with him, and he says, we're going to find where those Christians are, and we're going to get hold of them, and we're going to bring them back to prison. But just as he's approaching Damascus, the risen Lord Jesus appears to him in a blinding light and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you against me? And he fell to the floor. And he cried out to God and said, God, what do you want me to do? And he was taken into the city blind. And you know the story how that God used Ananias to come to him. And he had an amazing conversion experience to Jesus it's what commentators call a Damascene conversion. And sometimes it's you when people are looked upon as seeing the light in other areas of life, even today. Totally changed. He had to escape from Damascus in a basket because people wanted to get hold of him and stop his newfound faith spreading. But outside of Jesus, he became one of the greatest leaders of the church. And he reasons why we've got lots of the New Testament in the Bible because God used Paul to write many of those books to churches that he established and founded. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, a book that Paul wrote, he says that God has chosen us in him. Now, I don't use that phrase tonight to try and score a theological point. We're not going to go there. But for me, friends, when we realize that God's put his hand upon our lives and chose us, he speaks about specialness. He speaks about being secure in his hands. He speaks about that we're significant in him. You see, I still come across lots of people that don't think God can use them, that don't think that they're worthy, that don't think that somehow God can take hold of their lives, but he can. You are special to him. God comes to a place where he chooses you. You see, Paul was Christ's man for the hour. And so are you. And so are me. And Jesus strengthened him for the task. I want you to notice tonight, this is so important, that the foundation of us serving the Lord is not to gain God's forgiveness, but it's because we've received God's forgiveness you may be saying, Phil, you're talking about serving. I thought the Bible told us that we were sons. And we are sons. And I use that word in the generic sense, ladies. The inclusive sense of being part of God's family. God says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons or the children of God. And when we understand that we've come to Jesus, and it may be that you're still on that journey, and there'll be an opportunity tonight for you to come to Jesus and you realize that you're part of his family, that you're a son of God, 
then from that identity and that sense of knowing the Lord, so flows out your desire to be a servant, saved to serve. What we just love in Arena Church, and it's worked itself out so well, even in our journey here, is that we've seen people come to the Lord. We've seen people renewed in their faith. We've seen people freshly impassioned to follow Jesus. And thank God they've come to a place of wanting to serve him. And it's fantastic. He was thankful that he was chosen. But not only that, he was thankful that he was trusted. Because he goes on to say that, that the Lord considered him trustworthy. This was a man that had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. You may say, Phil, that's my testimony. That's what I was like before I came to Jesus. There were things I said. There were things I did. I'm not pleased about. But the Lord forgave me and changed me. And this man was completely changed. And here's the truth, friends. And it's exactly the same today. You see, not only do we place our trust in God, that means to have confidence in him, but he places his trust in us, which is amazing. We are trusted by God. Arena Mansfield Church is entrusted to us at this time by God in his purposes. This building, the people that gather, the ministry, the outreach, is all given to us by the Lord. And the Bible says that God wants to continually trust us and give blessing to us. You see, there's a little phrase around, and it's absolutely true. It's a life principle that when trust is high, progress is incredibly rapid. And as we trust the Lord, as we put our confidence in him, and God comes back to us and says, I trust you. Wow. What progress we can make in the church, friends. Now, There's a little principle that cannot be bypassed. Because in Luke 16.10, it says that if we will prove ourselves faithful or trustworthy in the little things, God will give us the big things. You see, I've had people come to me say, I want to be the next Reinhard Bonnke. I want to take the nation for the Lord. I've got millions in my soul, but they can't stack a few chairs. You know, that's not my ministry. What I want to tell you, If you don't make that your ministry, you're not going to this ministry. It's a test. Without apology, friends, it's a test. We have to prove ourselves faithful in the little things. But wow, what if God can trust you with much? What if he can come to a place of saying, you know what? That lady, that gentleman, that young person, I can so give away to them because they are utterly trustworthy. Who knows? What God can do with us. Thirdly, he was thankful that he was appointed. Because he says that the Lord had ministered to him, counted him trustworthy. And it goes on to say in verse 12, appointing him to his service. Now, in some of the older translations, it says, I thank God that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And some people have interpreted that as a capital T, capital M, the ministry and that's become a problem i don't want to push back friends on a i don't want to push back on a vocational call to ministry i live with it and uh, i've had to navigate it and it's incredibly challenging and we need people that are called by god to give over their lives in specific expressions of gift 
for his purposes. Could be pastoring a church. Could be a missionary. Whatever it is. The problem is this. That sometimes we define that as the ministry. And we've given the impression that everybody else just looks on and watches people do the ministry. But in the New International Version, I think the way that it's worded is far more accurate. Because Paul says... I thank God that he can to be trustworthy, appointing me to his service, small s. And that's really the essence of what Paul was saying here. The original language of that word is dynako, which means where we get the word deacon from. It simply means to serve, to attend, to wait upon, to minister. It's not that somebody's special because they're called the reverend so-and-so, or they're a pastor, it's that we're all special, and we've all got a contribution to make to the ministry. And how does that work out? Well, in John chapter 13, Jesus gave an example of how the ministry works. He was just hours from his betrayal and crucifixion. And he pulled together the disciples, the guys that had been with him for three and a half years. They drove him crazy at times because they just didn't get it. But he kept pouring into them and pouring into them because he saw that these men were going to be the world changers. And they filled the world with the gospel, friends. Amazing. Despite all of their seeming deficiencies. And on that time when they met in an upper room, he didn't give a rabble-rousing speech. He didn't go and say, go and kill them all. He simply knelt down. And he asked for a bowl and, uh, of water and a towel. And he began to wash the disciples' feet. The most mundane expression of servanthood in Eastern culture. And Peter says, Lord, you're not doing it to me. Oof. And uh, Jesus rebuked him. And he said, well, if you're going to wash my feet, wash me all over. And um, he was speakers always. But Jesus, physically and metaphorically, giving an example to us, says, this is how I want you to serve the world. I want you to come to the feet of people, and I want you to minister to their needs. I want you to reach out to them, because Jesus said, I didn't come to this world to be served, but I came to serve. And over the years, friends, 2,000 years, there's been an amazing tapestry of people, men and women, that have done exactly that. They've served in leprosy colonies. They've served in hospitals. They served in missions. They've served by taking the gospel to people that have never heard it before. They served by planting churches. They've served by doing gospel missions. They've served by giving of their money. And so we could go on. And numbers of these people have found themselves into books. And we read about them even today. But there are thousands that have never got a mention. And yet they've still served anyway. He said, Phil, if I'm down there, it means sometimes I'm not going to be seen, unseen. Absolutely. And to be a servant means that sometimes what you do doesn't get noticed. It means sometimes, friends, that it's going to be unappreciated. You're going to do something, and guess what? Not one person's going to say, thank you. Now, please, we're not trying to sow a culture into arena church where we don't say thanks. The reality is, at times, it just happens. 
If we're going to be a servant, there's going to be times when it seems unrewarded. You poured all that effort into that ministry and there didn't seem to be any response. And when we serve, we can sometimes meet with people that are even unkind. You see, this is a dangerous place to be. And it's why some people, even as Christians, never get there. Because when you're washing people's feet, there are times when you're going to get splashed. And there's times when you're going to get drenched. They're going to kick the water all over your face. Even though you've served them, even though you've given everything to them. You say, how did that happen? And the reality is, friends, that God wants us to go again and again and again to serve into a needy, needy world. You say, well, what about the Apostle Paul? Did he serve? Well, interestingly, in Romans chapter 1, he starts off by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. And at the end of Acts 27, we get the story of Paul being in a shipwreck. He was going to Rome in the purposes of God. But he said to the people, you've set off in this boat, we're going to hit a storm and we're going to shipwreck. And they took no notice of him whatsoever. And guess what? The winds began to catch up. The rain began to fall. The storm began to hit its heights. And the ship was in peril. And they all turned to Paul and says, what now? And he had an angelic visitation that says, well, I told you so. But he says, the Lord's told me that none of us will perish. We'll all get to dry ground safe. And the Bible tells us that they all eventually arrived on the island of Malta. The boat was in ruins, but the the storm had abated. And it tells us, interestingly, there were 276 people on that ship, and every one of them was saved. And then we come to the beginning of Acts chapter 28. And interestingly, again, in the detail of the word, the Bible says it was a cold, rainy day. We've not had many of those in recent times, but I'm sure we're going to get some over the next few months. A cold, rainy day. And it describes in verses 2 and 3 that there was a man that went around gathering the brushwood so that they could start a fire that they could all gather around. Guess who was collecting the wood for the fire? It was the apostle Paul. And 275 people watched him do it. Servanthood. He didn't go and say, I'm the apostle. I'm not collecting the wood. Somebody else can do it. No, there was something in his heart, friends, that says, I'm never going to be too big for a menial task. He was still passing the test of the little things. And I want to encourage his friends here in Arena Church to realize that God wants us to understand that this time in this church is not because we've not got anything else to do on a Sunday night, but it's a place of appointment. God has appointed us to be part of this body for such a time as this. You know, to all of our lives come challenges, and mine is no different. There are many challenges that come to my life. I have the joy of being part of the leadership of this church. But for my troubles also, I've got 135 churches to sort of carry some responsibility for in our central area. And all the guys that lead those churches are wonderfully well behaved and never cause me a problem at all. You got it. And sometimes I get splashed and on occasions I get absolutely drenched 
But the reality is, friends, and I say it with absolute humility, I get up every morning sensing God's purpose in my life because this guy that comes from a council estate in Nottingham that absolutely had nothing going for him is living in the appointment of God's purpose in my life for this season. And it's an amazing place to be. To be part of this church in the appointment of God. And I want to encourage you tonight to gather hold of all the juices of belonging to where God wants you to be. Because out of that, you can bring an incredible serving heart to what God's called us to be. The reality is to strengthen arena manhood in these days, we need to strengthen the serving base. We need more and more people that will give themselves to the purposes of the Lord. And who knows what God will do? Who knows what God's going to entrust us with, friends? Who knows what's going to happen when we fuel all that together in the heart of God and give it back to him and say, Lord, take it for your purpose and for your praise. Fourthly, he was thankful that he was empowered. He said, Phil, I don't think I can be one of these servants. I mean, if somebody splashes me, I want to kill them. Well, I do sometimes. But the fact of the matter is that God says in verse 14 that he will give you grace and love and faith. You see, you're not doing this on your own. You're not doing it in your own efforts. If I can say it, friends, this is not a call tonight to be a do-gooder. It's a call to be a servant of Jesus. And he says, on your back will be grace and love and faith to enable you to be all that God has called you to be. I never cease to be amazed, friends, at the gifts that God gives to the body of Christ. And we need all of them finding their place in these days. When we were in Prague for a few days in the early summer, we came across a one-man band. It literally was, you know, you know, it was all, you know. And the fact of the matter is that the, the street entertainment in Prague is absolutely par excellence, apart from this bloke. He was dreadful. I said to Sharon, you see, that's such a picture of the church at times. Somebody trying to do everything. And it's never how it was intended to be. You know that Christian and me absolutely give ourselves to this journey called Arena Church. But friends, if we're trying to do it, just the two of us, it's never going to get to where it needs to be. And right across the room, we've got this opportunity for us to come together cohesively and unitedly to bring our serving gift to the church and see what the Lord will do. And we're thankful for all that he's done on this four-year journey, but there's so much more to do. The next season of Arena Mansfield is a little bit of what Paul spoke about earlier. And where God can give us opportunities, yes, to cooperate with other charities and churches, but also to com- continually find a mission's heart that reaches out to this needy, ch- needy area and the over 100,000 people that sit in close proximity to where we worship tonight. As I close, about a year ago, I had the joy of sharing a platform with a man called Matt Bird. And I was in Cambridge speaking at a leader's day. And Matt is an interesting character. Uh, he's quite lardy dark, you know. And he's got this nice sort of jacket and there was a big sort of handkerchief coming out. And um, he was talking about what local party used to be a, a local councillor of. Well, it wasn't Labour, let me just say that. And... Um, But a wonderful man, a local church elder, 
and uh, an, an, a businessman in the heart of London. And uh, he's an elder in a black majority church, and he's very white. But that's where his appointment is at this time. And God gave Matt a simple idea. Taking all of his entrepreneurial skills, his management ability, his incredible ability to connect with people, God gave him a simple idea. And so was founded what was called the Cinnamon Network. It's an opportunity, friends, for people to uh, apply for micro-grants through Cinnamon uh, to give expression to serving through the local church. And they've got 30 blueprint projects that they use. It's incredible. You see, I mentioned kids earlier and the struggles that some of them face. And lots of them, friends, don't always look forward to school holidays because they're going to miss that school meal at lunchtime that won't be available for a week or two. And one of the projects that Cinnamon has got is a feeding program for kids when they're on holiday. And micro-grants of two, three, four thousand pounds are given to churches to help them get going. Matt said these words. They fascinated me. He said, we've been able to help since Cinnamon started just five or six years ago, 3,150 churches in the UK across all the denominational spectrum. We've been able to empower 49,000 volunteers or if I can use the word of tonight, servants. And we've been able to bless 690,000 people through that servant ministry. Over half a million people. I'll tell you, friends, if the church went on strike tomorrow, there'd be chaos. I was reading an interview by Archbishop Justin Welby just this week, and he was saying that there are now over 2,000 food banks in the UK, and 99% of them are run by local churches. David Farnsworth, who works in our arena community at Ilkeston, and he's done a brilliant job because David's brought all of his administrative skills from over 35 years in uh, work at Boots, the chemist. And I said, Dave, can you just furnish me with the latest figures of arena community? This morning we brought, as part of our mercy offering, bags of groceries and placed them on a, on a uh, what do we call it? A pallet at the front of the church. Just a few years ago, five years ago at most, that's how food banks started. And it was about three or four bags of food on a pallet that you've got to go within two meters of it and you've got a splinter in your finger. It was horrible. But the reality is that up to date, we have helped over 1,400 families or individuals and we've given away 8,500 food parcels, all from a zero cash base of saying we just want to go and grow and love and serve our community. And it's been done on the back also of regular meals and countless conversations, people that have served. So there's the challenge of putting God first tonight. It's about giving. It's about connecting. But it's about serving. Christine's here tonight, and um, she gave the announcements earlier. And Christine takes some oversight for helping people find a serving journey. And if you want to talk to Christine afterwards or in the coming weeks, she'd be glad to help you, to give you some literature to draw everybody in to what God is doing in these days. Can I be bold tonight, friends, to say if we genuinely put God first in our lives, if we seek first the kingdom, then it's without exception that we're going to have to face up to the serving challenge. It's not about you becoming a preacher or a platform person or doing things in public. 
It's simply coming to a place of saying, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to live thankfully for him. Thankful that I'm chosen. Thankful that I'm trusted. Thankful that I'm appointed. And thankful that I'm empowered. As I read the Bible, friends, I read that when we serve, we don't go as Jesus. We go to Jesus. As much as you did this to them, you did it to me. And the needy world is still waiting for a servant-hearted church to arise in all of its potential and reach out in Jesus' name. Let's pray.